When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description. Hi, I'm Raoul Pal, CEO and co-founder of REALVISION. As you know by now, this podcast, The Journeyman, is my exploration to that nexus of crypto, macro, and technology. I think all of these mega trends are merging into the biggest macro opportunity of our lifetimes. And I'm a very curious person, and I want to learn from the best. I want to have as many conversations and bring you guys along the ride, because it's all new. It's a new world. So we're not looking back. Yes, we use history as a guide as well. But we're having to look into the future and understand how this is all playing out. And I found that for me, having a macro framework has helped the most. It even helped me to allow allows me to understand technology. And it also really gave me an edge in crypto. And I've been in this space for a long time. And I've learned a lot of things along route. And there's different ways of approaching crypto. If you're going to take advantage of this opportunity, don't forget when we first had crypto Bitcoin on Real Vision in 2014 in our second ever video, the price is up 250,000% since then. I checked actually, I put a tweet out the other day about the FT yet again slating Bitcoin. And I went back into the archives of the FT and I found the first article I could find on Bitcoin, which was slating it, which is 2013, saying, this is just a fad, it's a bubble. Yes, it's had three bubbles in the middle of an exponential logarithmic uptrend. And since the first FT article slagging off crypto and Bitcoin in particular, it's up 330,000%. So that's why the opportunity here is bigger. This is why it attracts so many younger people because everybody's so screwed with the cost of housing cost of mortgages, with the cost of living, with the inability, you know, all millennials are now having kids, trying to buy a house, trying to figure it all out. Nobody's got enough money. And so working as a slave in two or three jobs still doesn't move the dial. Everyone's finding that. So things that have an asymmetric upside, like crypto and technology, have really caught the attention of everybody. They see it as a way out. And you can see the baby boomers or the or the existing 
infrastructure and institutions fighting that narrative because they have a vested interest. But we all want something different. We think there is a new system that could be built that's better than the old system. And for me, for us all, what I keep telling people is your job is given the biggest macro opportunity of all time is just not to fuck this up. And fucking it up means not knowing, not having the knowledge, and then not having the skills of how to invest. So one thing for sure you should do, if you really want to take advantage of what is coming, just brush up on your skills. And we built within the Real Vision Academy, we've got the uh, uh, the Crypto Academy. Um, it's an amazing course taught by ex-TradFi people who are deep into Web3, deep into crypto, are very successful traders in crypto and in their past lives. That's Ovi and Mando. And they put together a course for us just to help newbies understand how to navigate, how to invest in this space. Even if you're not a newbie, many people are relatively new to understanding investment processes. So I can't urge you enough. The best investment you'll ever take is the 350 bucks to go to the Crypto Academy. So realvision.com forward slash Crypto Academy. Um, I think there's 730 lifetime memberships left. They then run out, the price goes up to 500 bucks and it's an annual fee. So uh, take advantage of it. Gifting yourself education, that'll be the best $350 you spend. If not, you'll just punt it on some NFT, it'll go to zero. So you need some framework. How I try and check myself and my hypothesis and thesis, because I've been doing this a lot longer, is still testing against people that I really respect. People who have great knowledge. And Novo is a good friend of mine and also... He's a great trader. He's a macro guy like me. We kind of grew up at macro together. We were both at Goldman, both running hedge funds. He was obviously much more, much richer and more successful, but I've got more hair than him, which is very important in my view. And my suntan is better. But um, checking with Novo, as I do periodically, as you all know, is a real joy. It's like checking with Dan Tapiero. We can talk macro, we can talk crypto, we can exchange ideas because we're not afraid to get things wrong because we're macro people. You get bets wrong all the time. You're not afraid to doubt yourself. You're not afraid to ask questions, but you can also have conviction too. So Nova's person I really like to talk to. He's just a really thoughtful person. He's always a lot of fun and he always brings new perspectives. So let's all learn together with my conversation with my Nova Gratz. Join me, Raoul Pal, as I go on a journey of discovery through the macro, crypto and exponential age landscapes. In The Journeyman, I talk to the smartest people in the world so we can all become smarter together. Novo, great to see you, my friend. Can't, can't wait for the conversation. How the devil are you? Last time we spoke, I think we were just in the midst of the, of the nightmare. You know, I uh, certainly have a bigger smile than I did then. Uh, <laughs> feel some redemption for the industry for Galaxy, uh, for us lunatic uh, crypto dudes. Um, it's funny, I remember there was an interview I did with Bloomberg relatively close to the low uh, where Sonali Bassett, who's a friend, uh, was pretty damn harsh. And uh, you know, took was taking it out on me a little bit. And, and Druckenmiller, Stan Druckenmiller, who's in my mind the greatest macro trader of the, uh, the last 25 years, he sent me a text. He was like, yeah, tell her to come back and see where it is in a year. You know, I'll, 
And that was pretty much close to the lows, you know. Uh, I'm surprised we've rallied this much in a year. Uh, I'm thrilled, actually. I remember at the beginning of the year, I said, I go to bed and I, I'm saying the Hail Mary and the All Father for three or four things. One was an ETF uh, and getting BlackRock engaged. One was Binance settling. One was the Fed pivot. Um, and one was just clearing the territory. No, the, the, the fourth was uh, some process on regulation. And the fifth was, you know, clearing the dare trust of, of the mess. And, you know, shockingly, we got all four, uh, four of the five at least. We haven't got the, the regulation pro progress, but we've got a little bit in that Ripple won the lawsuit. Uh, you know, uh, Grayscale won their suit, which helped the, the ETF. Uh, Gensler has been kind of kneecapped a bunch by the courts. Uh, and so a lot of good things happen for the industry, which has a 44,000 Bitcoin and a 2200 Ethereum. And uh, everyone breathed a sigh of relief. So uh, let's talk macro first, because um, that's how you and I see the world to start with. A lot of macro people got bearish for all of this year, but it seemed that a lot of this was priced. My thesis was it was all priced in last year. I mean, 2022, you know, what, what, what more do you want? Blood, you know, the NASDAQ was down 38% and crypto was down 80%. Well, how are you seeing the macro here? Yeah, I think two things happened this year, which are not normal in that normal for most of us who've spent 25, 30 years investing is a government that spends 20% uh, of GDP, you know, on the federal budget. And we're at 25%, 26% right now. And so I think what happened was in lots of ways, we kept waiting for the economy to roll over because you kept seeing signs, hey, raised rates, raising rates should send the economy down. And it didn't. And I think people got macro wrong uh, in lots of ways because the strength of the U.S. economy surprised people. I believe that strength came from fiscal spending, and that'll be a price to pay down the road, uh, right? We just spent more than we ever did. The stimuluses were bigger than we actually comprehended. And so government spending is a lot less uh, elastic to rates, Right. If they're going to spend money on infrastructure, they don't care what the rates are. Um, and I think there was just a lot of pent-up fiscal spending that kept the economy floating. Uh, and I, again, people got the equity market wrong because of that. Uh, they got the rates market wrong because of that. Uh, now it does feel like the economy's slowing. Yeah, it does. It feels like we're going to be close to recession around this quarter and next quarter, right? Yes, 100%. And, you know, rates markets have priced a lot of that in. I've probably gotten ahead of themselves a little bit. Um, but that's helped Bitcoin. And I think just the fact that there are no more rate hikes coming was the first psychological shift. That you know, you know, the average time between last hike and, and first cut is less than six months. Uh, and, you know, so you know a cut's coming. Uh, and that's, you know, good for assets. Now, listen, we've had the biggest easing of financial conditions ever in November, ever. And so the Fed stopped hiking because they said, well, financial conditions tighten so much. 
then all that got reversed. And so I don't think the Fed will be that quick on the trigger to cut. Uh, but, you know, inflation's coming down. If you get inflation down to two, you know, where should real rates be? Uh, certainly not three. Uh, and so you'll definitely see some cutting coming. Yeah, I'm not, you know, Stan always says, you know, the way to trade macro is by living in the future. It's like 12 months in the future. And in 12 months in the future, a rate's going to be here or lower? Lower. Is there going to be more stimulus? Yes. Will there be more fiscal stimulus because of there's an election year? Yes. So in which case, it's pretty clear as a macro outlook, right? So listen, you want to be long twos, 30s. Uh, of course, it's just gone from minus 15 to minus 40 in a day and a half, which made my ear bleed. Uh, <laughs> you know, what happens a lot uh, is in the November, December, pension funds buy a ton of bonds. And by mid-December, they stop. And then there's corporate supply in January. And so there's a big seasonal in the long end of fixed income. Uh, right? Pension funds are fully funded for the first time. They can, like, they can lock in. Uh, and so great environment for them. I think they're the buyer of, of fixed income right now. I don't see a lot of structural buyers of fixed income in the future, right? Fed's not going to be buying. Uh, foreign governments don't want to be buying. Uh, you know, but then, but how the fuck can they refinance all of this debt, right? Because everything's rolling. I mean, my view is they have to lower rates just for that, or if not, they have to keep issuing more and more bonds to catch I, I up. Yield curve has to get much deeper. Uh, yeah, I, we're, we're at minus forty. Twos, thirties. That won't surprise me if it's a plus one ten uh, nine months from now. Now it's got negative carry. It's not easy to trade, but but that's I think that's 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 the trade for twenty twenty four. You see, I went through kind of all these macro trades, and I've been doing this for a while now, and then compare them all to crypto. Right, that curve steepener. Just buy Bitcoin, damn it! <laughs> just buy, you just buy crypto. It just goes up better on a risk-adjusted basis well, than listen, any I of these other- macro account, and I trade a crypto account that I hedge with macro. Uh, so two separate accounts. And my crypto account is up over about 125%. And I don't run it, you know- Levered. You know. 100, 100, you know. Right. 100, 100. I mean, we traded it well. We options at the right time. And my macro account, I'm up 2.1%. <laughs> <laughs> It's been an embarrassing macro year. I just, you know, but, you know, but in the crypto bull market, you're never going to make as much money in any other macro trade. It's, I agree. It's just really hard to do, right? You can be a complete moron, buy Bitcoin, go to the beach, come back a year later and make 125%. You know what? I'll do it. One of my real good friends is a quiet crypto maniac, and he does a lot for the community behind the scenes. And, but he also gets nervous a lot. And so he calls me I'm two two times a day when the market's down, sometimes three times a day. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And he owns a lot of crypto. Uh, the day Larry Fink went on TV and gave the bullish, bullish Bitcoin story, I had a lot more confidence the ETF would happen. I said that the largest asset manager in the world has just credentialized our asset class. <clears throat> and I told him, I was like, dude, We've won. It's game over. Put your phone away. Turn your screen off. You luckily don't have a 420-person business to manage. Uh, 
with a big cost base and lots of moving parts and people's, you know, careers, you know, to worry about. You just have a giant pile of corn and it's going to be worth a whole lot more in a year. And so stop calling me so much. He laughed. And of course, he called me two times the next day as well. <laughs> uh, but I really believe that. That was a game changer. It's been the biggest thing that's happened in our space all year. Uh, praise be to the guys at Orange Pill Larry. Uh, <laughs> I know who they are, but I'm, I'm sworn to secrecy. Uh, and I, I think it's real. You know, I was just on with another giant asset manager about an hour ago. And he was just doing the math of, you know, the 1% allocation globally with no supply where prices could go. And, and it got me, Lydia, I've always wanted to go out and buy 50,000 calls. Um, there is a scenario of a parabolic move. Um, normally, we're at a place on the chart that we're supposed to be taking some profit, right? We, you bought it cheaper, you bought options and whatnot. 42, 44, 45, it should pause. But man, oh man, it doesn't trade like that. It trades That's like, God, it's still... Um, I've been really watching MicroStrategy versus Bitcoin, right? MicroStrategy trades at about a 21, 22% premium to Bitcoin. Uh, we know an ETF's coming. Why should an ETF proxy trade at 20% premium to Bitcoin? Should you would assume when the ETF comes, that spread will go down. Michael Saylor last month sold $700 million or $650 million of MicroStrategy stock to buy Bitcoin at the premium. So he's doing trades that are creative to book. What's shocking is he did that and the spread didn't move. And he's doing another 750 this month and the spread's not moving. It tells you just how much pent up demand in the equity markets there is for crypto product. Marathon is trading, what, $16 a share. Uh, I think that's about four times book. Uh, it might even be higher than four times book. But to put that in perspective, Galaxy trades at one point two times book. The US equity market, Marathon's, Marathon is a stock that people want to play crypto through because there's no other place to play it. And so there is a ton of pent-up demand uh, because, again, a mining stock is an okay proxy for Bitcoin-ish. I like Fred Thiel a lot. They've got okay assets. They're not great assets. Um, you know, I'm in the mining business as well. Uh, and it, it, it makes me scratch my head just how well the stocks trade. And so it makes me pretty damn bullish over the next 12 months. So this is how I've, my mental roadmap of this, and you'll understand this completely, is we've got Fiat World and we've got Cryptoland. Cryptoland's an emerging economy with massive population growth, productivity growth, all of that stuff. So it just looks like an emerging market in our old macro world. I think of this as these ETFs as a trade deal between one and the other. And you're just going to get capital flows. And what it's showing you is you and I have traded, you know, you've used swap markets and other ways of accessing markets that had closed capital accounts. That's why MicroStrategy uh, micro trades at a premium because it's, it's a closed capital account. They can't get in. So, so the moment you open those floodgates, 
Well, it's just a matter of does crypto land have a higher rate of return? And I think it'll just attract a huge amount of capital over time. So I agree with you. I think it's there is a risk. Not It's not a forecast, but there is a risk that this is a very different cycle to anything we've seen. Yeah, 100% agreed. It's a, I, I literally sat there and was listening to these guys today and I thought, I'm going to buy some calls. Um, and I've already loaned a lot of crypto uh, and mining and infrastructure. Uh, uh, and so, but it just felt like there's that chance that I hadn't been thinking about of the real parabolic move. The one that really interests me for the parabolic move is ETH. And let's say they have an ETH ETF, fine, right? ETH rallies, we get that. The issue is, is the more ETH velocity, the more it gets burnt. So you've got all of these stakers. So there's like 25% of the entire market is staked. The rest is stuck in cold wallets, and you're going to burn the rest whilst having an ETF. How the fuck is that going to work without it just doing I, that? Uh, listen, I went to the Fed in 2014 with Dan Warhead. Uh, me and Dan went, we met with Bill Dudley, who was, I don't think he was the Fed governor at the time. He was the number two guy. Maybe he was the governor. Uh, I believe Lil Brainerd was there. Uh, but a, a bunch of staffers to talk about Bitcoin. And they said something that has stayed in my mind, they were like, Bitcoin can never be a currency. They were like, we're fascinated with the blockchain. We're fascinated with these rails to move things on. And maybe it can be an asset, but currencies, there's never been a successful currency with a fixed supply. They're just too easily to manipulate and squeeze. And you have too much volatility. And that was their belief. And I think they're right. I don't think Bitcoin will ever be a currency that we buy Pepsi Cola with. Uh, and, you know, listen, it started off, people bought illicit shit with it, but no one's buying stuff with Bitcoin. Uh, as much as people will talk lightning and other things, yeah, you might use the infrastructure, but you're not going to use Bitcoin as a transaction currency. No. Because there's just no it goes spot. Up. And it goes up. Yes. Yes. And I was thinking about crypto today. You know, one of the things I got really wrong is I used to say, ah, there are 114 elements on the periodic table. Gold is the only one that has value just because it does. And the rest all need utility. Uh, and I thought Bitcoin could have value as just a store of value. And Ethereum and everything else needed real utility. And where I was wrong is all of these other cryptos in some way are a form of Bitcoin at this point. And that this ETF... And these new inflows are buying time for any utility that we'll see in the future to get built. But the reality is most of the value right now in Solana or Ethereum or Doge or you name it, Celestia, um, is store of value. It's a community of people that have decided to store their money in this system and they realize wow, if I bring more people into the system, the price goes up and I believe in this community uh, and the structure. And I'm really nervous about the other world because I don't understand it or I think I got screwed by it uh, or it's just not as cool. And so we're part all store of value at this point. 
There will be utility one day, I hope, right? Real utility. There'll be apps I can use to buy tickets uh, or transfer stuff. But reality is Web3 has disappointed so far, right? In terms of the big utility gains, I do believe they're coming. And so other than payments, and most of that's with stable coins. Um, and so we're really a narrative game, a storyteller's game. We're going to shift in crypto from being just a storyteller's game to a plumber's game, building the financial market and the regulatory infrastructure to really kind of change the way finance gets done. But none of that's happened yet, right? With the exception of stablecoins, right? People use Tether on Tron to move money around the Mideast and Africa and lots of places. You know, shout out to Justin Sun, who's just coiny. Uh, you know, and again, that's even interesting because... The idea originally was, oh my gosh, you need these decentralized systems that are fast and secure. And with Tron, you have something that's quasi-centralized, right? Justin runs most of the nodes, uh, but it's fast and cheap. And for small payments, people don't care. They no, trust that's fine. Because there's no store of value. It's, it's a transfer mechanism. Yeah. Hey, everyone. We're going to take a quick pause and hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back. I think it's interesting. We got a little bit religious on how we thought about these systems. And in reality, they're all communities. They're store of value that communities seem to care about. Like I, I was skeptical that XRP would have lasting power because Ripple, the company, owns 60% of them, now 55 or 50% of them. And I was like, that just doesn't seem a, a proposition that's going to work. And I've been dead wrong. Hats off to Brad Garlinghouse and, and his team. Ripple is now, you know, a institution. Uh, you know, the, the XRP army is real. Uh, they care about their ecosystem and their coin. And, you know, yes, it's got a use case, but broadly the use case is the same as Bitcoin. It's another place for people to want to store value. And the real question is how many of these ecosystems can we have? Like total market cap of crypto is what now? Billion... And a one half. and a half, one and a half, yeah. Right? So it's, it's half of Apple. Uh, um, and so you think about the amount of energy, human capital, uh, podcast, conferences, research papers that are going in talking about this industry. We're tiny relative to the global capital markets. Uh, if, I, I, if I line up all the employees of Apple on one end of a tug of war and all the employees of crypto on the other end, I know who I'm betting on. I got Vitalik out front, you know, we got some just boy wonders. Incredible. Uh, in terms of intelligence and, and passion. And so- So here's, here's another way of looking at that thing. So yeah, I hear what you're saying. Right now they're just stores of value and we're saying we, we'll, we'll store it in this particular thing, whatever your thing is. But they are also a call option on the future, right? It's also, well, my community could build cooler stuff that will have larger use cases over time than your community. And so it's not yeah, just a store of value. But it's just a narrative at this point. It's a call. We, we haven't seen it happen yet. No. But what do you think? What are, what are the things that make you think we haven't seen it? We're seeing a lot of stuff like Franklin Templeton are doing stuff. We're seeing, you know, we've even seen the European Investment Bank 
people are doing stuff. It's not at yeah, scale yet. Tokenization will happen because it makes efficient sense. Will it happen on, you know, public blockchains or semi, you know, walled garden blockchains? I'm not positive. Um, I don't know if that's in a year or five years. Uh, every bank is working on it. We're working on it. We're working on some small projects, some medium-sized projects. Um, so that's going to happen. But the real reason that I got excited about the decentralized revolution really was right seeing things like decentralized rideshare or decentralized exchanges or decentralized uh, ticketing. Think about ticketing. It is the single best I use know. case. I know. I keep saying this. It's huge. And we don't have ticketing yet because Ticketmaster is pretty freaking good and tough. I know. Ticketmaster is the largest issuer of NFTs in the world. And they don't want to give up their monopoly. But they're, they're actually the largest issuer of NFTs in the world. They've issued over 30 million NFTs. They just don't use it for their tickets yet. Yeah, of course and not. I, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've spoken to that team about it, and I think they might get there. But ticketing, you, I think you, it needed the monopoly, and so you protect your monopolies, and it's hard. You know, I I used to think, I used to tell the story of decentralized Uber. I called it Duber. Uh, thought that was kind of cute, and <laughs> I thought, what a perfect way to explain how this token economy can work. And I mapped it out and wrote it out and talked about this theoretical company, and then. I don't know, about a year ago, I sat with Travis, uh, the CEO, at his house for a couple cocktails. And after about two hours with him, I was like, oh, now I know why Uber worked. Because that son of a bitch was good. He broke every rule. He bought the supply. He bought demand. He paid fines. He willed that company into existence. And I'm not sure a decentralized community could have done that. Um and so, again, we'll see now that their ride sharing exists. Like yeah, you know, the, the other argument would be Meltem's argument, which is we just willed a trillion dollar asset, <laughs> memed it into existence. Yeah. So it's oh, possible. I don't, I don't want to short the crypto community. Listen, the one of the greatest technological wins was going from proof of work to proof of to proof of stake in Ethereum. This giant system flipped over flawlessly uh and there was no one in charge there was no general i mean you could kind of say vitalik was a spiritual general but he wasn't the general right it was a community that did that and so i'm not shorting the potential i'm just saying thus far in some of the easy i remember sitting with you two literally the greatest thing that ever happened to me in crypto is i got a call from adam clayton he was like uh this is adam clayton from youtube uh, would you like to come to our concert? I'd like to talk to you about crypto. I thought it was a prank. I went out to the Meadowlands. I met the whole band. I sat backstage before the concert. And that was probably 2015. And we talked about NFTs for tickets. And he wanted to be able to take tickets and throw them to people in the, the bad seats to come sit in the empty front seats and, you know, cut out all the scalpers. And like, he was way ahead in his thought process. And I was like, oh, yes. And, you know, that hasn't happened. And so that's, Eight years ago, I pray it will happen. We've looked at some companies. We've invested in a few that then have tried it. Uh, the technology's there. Yeah, because particularly with the compressed NFTs now on Solana, it's really super cheap. It's cheaper than printing a paper paper ticket. Yeah, Solana's uh, an interesting one. The uh, the world has turned on to it all of a sudden in a big way. 
Yeah, uh, I did it. It's I did my a big bet now. It's my biggest. It's been my biggest bet for the is last. It? Yeah, for the last nine months, I've completely switched my allocation. I'm what massively like seventy percent Solana. Wow. I, what happened to me is like I knew Solana was was interesting, so I bought some last year when it all got sold off and bits and pieces, and then. I saw the compressed NFTs, thought this could be ticketing. Like you, I just, I needed the one big thing. Thought that's interesting. And then I was in some event in New York and Colleen was there from Brevin and Tolly. And they were both talking and they both mentioned about Fire Dancer. And I went down the Fire Dancer rabbit hole. Have you gone down the Fire Dancer rabbit hole yet? I have not. So Jump Trading have built a validator for um, Solana, which is the second validator. Only Ethereum has other validators. This thing, because they built it for high-frequency trading, because to your thing, somebody needs to build exchanges, this thing theoretically has a 1.2 million TPS. Wow. So it's 20x faster than Solana. It's on it's on testnet now, goes mainnet in the summer, and that's it. So, so Solana is 20x faster than, I mean, yeah, it'll be 20x faster than anything else because this is Solana. You should jump trading. What they built is mind blowing, and they said, they went at it with first principles and said, in high frequency trading, what we need to solve for is speed of light, because it's all about how fast can you get your order flow in and out. Yep. And blockchain can't do that, and so they built on Solana. This it's they used a whole entirely different language. Amazing. I don't know where the demand is coming from, but it's it's monstrous right now. Yeah, it is. It is. It is shocking. Um, no, though, this whole crypto demand when we went from nothing, nothing, nothing to and listen, we're seeing it on our desk, right? The Galaxy Trading Desk. Uh, you know, we had a hedge fund come in a couple of days ago and buy eighty million, you know, bucks of Bitcoin. That wasn't happening even six weeks ago. Uh, what 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 has been consistent is like. A lot of people in our space were connected to some of the aggregators, right? There are probably six or seven aggregators. You know who they are. Uh, just with one alone, they buy about ten to fifteen million dollars of Bitcoin a day and never sell. Just all through the market, all through the last few months. You know, this weekend was a big weekend, but it's so consistent. And that's the little guy on their phone. If it's PayPal or Square App or whatever one of those aggregators are talking about, buying Bitcoin and they never sell it. And no. so it's just my experience, it's just net buying. And I was like, wait a minute, that app alone is taking out mining supply. What app? Now, again, I don't see all their other trades, I just see our piece, but I was like, what app taking out mining supply? Uh, there are a lot more than one app. So where is this, on a structural level, where is the supply? That's the issue I can't get my head around. Yeah, it's it's market makers, it's option delta hedges, it's, but, and the miners, but where, who else is really- Miners don't have that much supply, right? They so, sold a bunch of their Bitcoin, they're not holding big bags. And this, and this goes to your point is, this could get an unruly bull market because you don't really have sellers, but you've just- Yeah, 75% of Bitcoin hasn't moved in a year. Is that the number I read today? I think that's something the like that. Yeah. Um, no, that's the when you want to work yourself in a freaking frenzy. <laughs> um, 
Listen, I worked myself into a frenzy on gold. Uh, oh, God. Two nights ago. I have a podcast, and it's called uh, Business Untitled, where we, me and two friends, uh, one guy grew up rich, I grew up middle class, and one guy grew up poor. Uh, he's from the hood. We, we interview entrepreneurs. Uh, we just had Snoop Dogg on, which was great. But at the end, we give everybody an ounce of gold. We're like, you know, give us your ounce of gold, your real wisdom. And they, and, and so then we give them a real ounce of gold. And so my guy was like, I got to buy more than that gold. And I was like, I'm sitting in Jamaica because of the SEC. I now have to carry two phones. I've got my personal phone. And I got my work phone. My work phone has my Bloomberg on it and it's got my trading stuff. And this just doesn't, this is in my hotel room. I'm sitting there and I just see something on gold up two and a half, three percent. Now, this has lifetime PL of all my accounts. Nothing. And I'm like, ha! And I'm along a ton of gold. And I take I think I jinxed the whole freaking market. I say to the guys, I was like, oh my God, guys, new breakout, 3,008 months, six months. I was like, you better go buy more gold gold coins if you think our podcast is gonna survive because it's gonna cost us more. So I'm doing the gold victory dance. Have <laughs> We've all done that before. Glasses of wine. Go to bed, wake up, get to the plane. I'm on the plane. I'm like, what the hell happened to gold? Like a log of my Bloomberg. And it had the great biggest, biggest one day move in three years. Oh God, the horror. Oh, oh, I still own it. I haven't given up, but yeah, that was painful. I mean, yeah. it, it was made up by crypto, but still. I hate it when that happens. You just, it, how, it's so obvious as a trade. It's like, this is a If breakout. you're a trader, crypto is like limit up that day. I am making for my firm account a ton of money, should be doing the victory dance. And I'm just grumpy as fuck because, you know, I kind of know if I was in my seat, 3% up, two straight nation move, I'd have sold 30% of my goal, just taking a little off the table. I'm in huge position and I didn't. You know? <laughs> so I'm just mad the whole day. My desk is like, what are you mad for? Crypto's up. I don't know why you're trading this stuff. This is the problem. You're just a crack addict going back to the old macro <laughs> stuff, which doesn't make money. Nobody's making money in macro. It is frustrating. It does help you understand the world um, yeah. and put crypto in context. I really, I really do think it does. I think it's, vi um, it's, it's, it's vital. It's imperative. You have to understand the macro. And for me to to talk to the kind of people I want to talk to and, and have relevant impact, like I, I have to have the macro toolkit. Um, even when I was a banker, when I, at Goldman Sachs, I briefly was a banker. And I remember meeting with Carlos Slim and, you know, that's intimidating. He was one of the richest guys in the world and I knew jack shit about telecom. And I told my head of banking, I was like, you got the telecom side. But I wanted to add something that what I could add to the conversation was framing the world. Uh, and it was early 2000 and the internet was bubbling and I was predicting a crash. And so from that one conversation, Carlos Slim must think I'm really smart. <laughs> you know, you, you have something to add to the conversation. Um, and where are the other macro guys? There's some behind, one thing we've got to own up to is you and I tried to red pill or orange pill Jamie Dimon at the JP Morgan event in, in Miami yeah. And we, we failed. Been, you know, it's one of those funny things. I remember I heard Elizabeth Warren 
on TV and saying, well, it doesn't have any real value. And so why should we even care about it? And I'm thinking to myself, lady, who do you think you are? Like the richest woman in your state believes it has value. The richest man in Pennsylvania, Jeff Yass from Susquehanna, believes it has value. Stan Druckenmiller, Ray Dalio, some of the great investors of the world believe it has value, but Janet Yellen doesn't. And like, okay, you don't have to participate, but like, don't be so goddamn arrogant to think you're right and everybody else is wrong. Like the market's right and you're wrong. And Jamie, you've been wrong. I love Jamie Dine and I hope he runs for president, but he's been dead wrong on Bitcoin. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's also got the vested interest that, you know, when you've got the monopoly on the banking system, the last thing you want is a competitor. I don't think Bitcoin's a competitor to the banking system. No, but I'm thinking of the whole cryptocurrency arena, the blockchain rails, decentralized finance. There's a, wow. there's a lot of things yeah. that. A, a stable coin that paid interest, i.e., a tokenized T bill fund, would put all the banks out of business. Right? Why would you leave your money at a regional bank? which is roughly a hedge fund with a probable guarantee by the government, but not a assured guarantee, where you get paid literally 0% at JP where you get one basis point in savings and one basis point in checking, unless you go to a different level of account, uh, when you could get five and a quarter percent in T-bills. Uh, and imagine you had it in your wallet. You've just banked the entire world. Uh, the Fed will let it happen because it collapses the banking system, Right. But that's the real risk is how do you, like even the Fed with cash has $2 trillion of, of liabilities that they don't pay interest on. Think about that, right? With all the cash outstanding, they're not paying interest on the cash, right? Jeremy Lair doesn't pay interest on his stable coins. And so it, it's really interesting if you think about making markets more efficient for the little guy, you want to pay interest on deposits and you want to pay interest on cash, right? If you had a stable coin that paid interest, you'd pay interest on cash. That's stealing from banks and giving to consumers. Uh, the problem is if you steal too much from banks, then you lose the credit cycle, right? Where does credit creation happen if everyone just owns stable coins? And so it's a, it's a complicated issue. Unfortunately, it's nuanced enough that it's hard to find smart guys to have the right conversation. And when it's, everything's politicized. And I wonder if, do you think they'll offer interest on CBDCs? Because they'll have the same problem. They'll destroy the banking system. Because I, I knew this when I first discovered Bitcoin in 2012. I was trying to start the world's safest bank with a bunch of family offices. And the idea was just to hold money at the Fed and have no fractional reserve banking. The Dallas Fed said, this is a great idea. It's really needed. You can't do it. And we said, why? They said, because you'll take all of the deposits from the banking system. It's exactly the same thing. But do you think the CBDCs will offer interest? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah, I hadn't thought this through, actually. I had not thought this through. Cash. So now you're at $2 trillion. I think it's $2 trillion. Google, well, how much cash is in circulation? Um, Fuck knows. See it if my macro bona fides are uh, any good. I don't know why the number two trillion popped into my head. I don't know. It's coming. Hold on. Total US cash and 2.3 trillion. There you go. Damn it. He's good. Oh! <laughs> you, haven't lo you haven't lost it. Regardless of what they say, you haven't lost it. 2.3 trillion times 5%. Big freaking number, right? 
free float. Uh, and so I think that's a, it's a consideration. And so I don't think they will, but that's, I mean, that's going to be hotly debated. I hadn't, I'd not thought that through, but yes, that makes sense, which is great to be a stablecoin business like Tether, because if you don't have to pay it away. I tell you what, there's a, a sad story and it's actually not that sad, but at one point the, the CFO of Tether, because they were having all this problem with Bitfinex, uh, all this reputational problem, right? There was a meme account that was Bitfinex, Bitfinex, Bit, uh, and he had approached us when I was at my family office about potentially buying Tether, you know, going to the SEC, cleaning, you know, getting a clean bill of health so they could have Bitfinex run by itself. And I think that cost him his job <laughs> because the guys that now own Tether, his, his partners, uh, said absolutely not. They love the business and they bought him out uh, and he's done quite fine and they've built an amazing business. Uh, but I, I always knew, I was like, damn, this is a call on rates. And, yes. Yes, you know, then we try to buy, we try to buy Circle. Uh, at one point, we were really close with Jeremy uh, to buying Circle. And then even when we couldn't buy Circle, we were like, hey, should we just buy the stablecoin business? And probably got greedy in not investing. But that's been one of my big, big misses. Because I, I listen, it was hard to do, right? There's only two that won. Uh, well, three. Paxos was was a damn good business for a while, um, but I, I I saw it. I wanted it, and I just couldn't get myself in it. Uh, I tell you, the other interesting game. I think the best business in in all of crypto. Yeah, I know everybody still hates it, but yes, it's been phenomenal. But it is a rates. It is a call on rates. So if let's say rates come back down again, they'll, oh, they'll make less, they'll make less money. But they're still. I mean, they're making billion dollars a quarter yeah i guess they're a self-funding call option on rates so every time rates go up they make more money but they make money if rates go to zero it's not at, bad at, at zero they, they they don't make as much because but their operating costs are very small yeah so the other one that's interesting for me from that perspective is i wonder if the eth etf providers are going to give the staking yield or not i think that's the uh the $64,000 question. Because somebody's going to get rich if they don't. <laughs> well, I actually think that's why the ETH ETF might not do as well as the Bitcoin ETF. Uh, unless you figure out how to get the staking rewards. And, you know, all of a sudden, I don't know if that's possible in an ETF structure. But yeah, I think that will be the limitation on... That won't stop it, of course, because, you know, people make non-economic bets all the time. So... Looking forward to 2024, what do you think? What's your general framework of where this crypto space goes over the next 12 months? In every launch of an ETF, gold, silver, you, know, you name it, you sell, the, you sell the first print. And that's the local high. And I, my instinct is it's the same. We trade up to the, to the, to the launch we sell off, but I think the sell-off is going to be a great buy. It'll probably be more painful than people think, right? Uh, because there's a lot of froth in the market right now. You look at basis, you look at just the options skew. Um, you look at the the alts jumping like they are. Um, but then I think, I don't know if it's 10 billion or 15 billion, uh, 
I think it's somewhere between 10 and 15 billion come into the market in the first year between, you know, Invesco, BlackRock, Fidelity, and Wisdom Tree, and all this. You know, there's a lot of salespeople at these places. And Bitcoin's always been sold, right? We call it yellow pilling or orange pilling. I'm sorry, yellow pilling. You're going to have a whole new army of orange pillars out there. Uh, convincing the guy to put 1% in, look at it, this correlation, look at it, it does to portfolio. And so I think if it dips, and I think it will dip, that's the dip to be bought. And I think we end the, the year much higher. Um, I also think because the Fed's going to be cutting and... Yeah, it just feels like it's a perfect setup. And I think so many people are scarred from the last bull market and how it finished as well with the kind of it got to a high, it sold off, it made a new high, failed. It didn't go as high as people expected. My guess is everybody's scarred by that and think it won't go as high as expected. And well, I think what, what, what more of the scar almost was just the absolute beatdown it took um, on the way down, right? 69 to 30 is bad enough. That 30 to 17 felt like death. Uh, and that 30 to 17 is Celsius and Sam and, you know, BlockFi and all the bad actors, uh, you know, either the corrupt actors or the poor risk managers or you name it. But we had a collection of really dumb decisions by big organizations that, listen, if it wasn't for that, you know, we'd be a lot higher now, right? It, it, it. It took an amazing amount of trust out of the system. You know, the other thing that's interesting is if it wasn't for Gensler, we would have Goldman and Citibank and Millennium and, you know, Bridgewater. We'd have big players from TradeFi very much engaged in this space. Uh, I'd be getting calls from bankers saying, oh, these guys want to buy you, <laughs> you know, Right now, there are no trade five buyers of crypto businesses. Maybe, you know, maybe of custody uh, because they'll put it into their skunk works for the future of tokenization. Um, and that's solely because of fear of the Fed and, and the SEC. And so I think that could be, I think that's 2025. Um, yeah. Quite frankly, I think we got to get through the election and we got to get a new head of the SEC. I just don't think Gensler's going to bend. Um, but the moment we kind of get the regulatory okay, then I think you're going to see the trade fi invasion. Um, but it's still it's still hard. Like you know, we have a 1.8 billion dollar balance sheet, uh, so we're close to that, um, and. We're just getting our second ISDA. And I've been a and I've been a player in macro for a long time, right? 2002, whatever, 21 years. I know the bank. People don't feel comfortable dealing with crypto companies. Now, having two ISDAs is is is, is great, because uh, a lot of my peers have none. Uh you know, and it gives us an advantage in, you know, being able to use other tools to to hedge and and uh, and to trade, um, but TradeFi is still very nervous about crypto. 
So what gets you most excited about Galaxy for the next 12 months? Because, you know, it's been hard for everybody. Everyone's had to deal with layoffs. Everyone's had to deal with cost cutting. You know, so all of that We're the like only that. crypto companies that if you look at our population on December 31, 2021, we're 100 people larger than we were at the top of the bull market, uh, which either means I'm the wimpiest boss in all of crypto, which is partly true. I act like a tough wrestler, but I'm a pushover. Uh, a belief in the system. Now, some of that is we bought GK8 in Israel uh, and we bought the mining company uh, down in Texas. So we added bodies there. Um, but we've been trying to build, build, build. Uh, and we're getting there, right? We've well, what's, got, your vision? what's your vision? Where do you want to get to with it? You know, I want our prime, which I, you know, is, is up and running now, but mostly just on execution. Uh, by Q2, we should have leverage. And, you know, I want it to be the premier prime brokerage service uh, in crypto. Um, and then I want to provide lots of the other services, right? Staking is a service. Uh, market making is a service. Those are great businesses for us. They're small now. They're growing. Um we have an infrastructure business with GKA, you know, which will help with tokenization and mining. Uh, our venture stuff, we've moved to asset management. Right now, it's still managing our money, but at one point, we want to manage other people's money in venture. Uh, we won two mandates from the FTX estate to help them manage their assets. It's a great piece of business. Um, and so we always wanted to be perceived as the smartest guys in the room. And you want to be balance sheet providers, the old kind of Goldman yes. technique. You know, pre-IPO Goldman was balance sheet providers, right? Yes. And the challenge to that, to be frank, is getting people to trust us so we can trust others. And, you know, we have our own money and we, thank goodness, have, you know, we really raised no capital since we started. We raised 50 million bucks since the day, day we started. Uh, we've got a $1.8 billion balance sheet. We've paid out a ton of salaries and taxes. Um, that's mostly from, you know, investing in trading profits. Uh, and so knock on wood, it's been a great bull market and we've traded it really well. Our genius has been selling, not buying, right? In 2021, we sold a billion and a half dollars of stuff, uh, you know, and then we bought stuff, you know, in the, in the winter, um, not always perfect, but that's helped us fund it. We're in that transition from really, you know, making money from our balance sheet, to having our businesses make money. You know, this year, roughly, you know, we'll do non-investing, non-trading. You know, we'll be roughly a couple hundred million bucks in revenue and a couple hundred bucks of costs, plus or minus, without giving you non-public information. Um, and so getting there, right? And that's our lending business, uh, our derivative business. Did you think it was going to be this much work? Um, no. Because uh, <laughs> it's a lot are, of work to do this. Well, there are times I, I I remember I was thinking about doing a hedge fund and I said, no, I've already done a hedge fund. I want to do a hedge fund. And I'm like, oh my God, it would be a lot easier. Uh, right? I'd have 15 people in a back office. Uh, Just own crypto and gone to Dominican Republic, you know? It's, my it would have been a lot structure. easier. Yeah. Uh, this has been much more challenging. Um, building tech when you're not 
engineer, you know, you're, you're relying on other people. Um, and listen, I got a great team. Uh, I think I'm good at a couple things, but I'm certainly not a financial engineer or plumber as I call them. They think it's a derogatory term, but I actually think it's a perfect term. Like crypto is going to rebuild the plumbing of financial markets. And, and quite frankly, you need a regulatory overhaul and a, and a, and a, plumbing overhaul to really make the, make the big changes if it's tokenization or whatnot. That, that isn't my forte, but luckily I've hired people that are good at it. Uh, I'm sure at one point Galaxy will have a CEO that can, can talk to that better than I can. Uh, I think this first chapter, I'm well suited in that it's a storytelling chapter. Like this has been about narrative and bringing people into the tent. Um, I do think we could use some new storytellers. We got you, we got, we got Sailor, we got myself. Yeah, we don't have, we, we haven't got anybody new right now. <laughs> if you're out there, start telling stories. Yeah, exactly. Somebody's done it. <laughs> and we're all knackered. We're so tired from all of this. It's been, it's been a long ride. Listen, my friend, as ever, fantastic to catch up with you. Uh, and let's see what kind of wild ride we go on this year. Awesome. Or the year ahead. Peace, be well. So as ever, wide-ranging conversation with Novo, lots of interesting things within it. And it's basically a state of affairs of where we are and the opportunities that lie ahead. Now, even though both of us have said, listen, there is a chance that this bull market is more surprising to the upside than is potentially thought of, don't take that as a forecast. That's not the job we're in. We're looking at probabilistic frameworks. And the idea is to understand the probabilities of all the different things. Could this fail? Could it have <coughs> increased exponential upside than what we expect? Will it, will it fall generally in line with what it expects? And you can see the thought process, how we're thinking through, you know, what does a stable coin mean? What does a stable coin with a yield mean? How does the ETF work? How can we make sense of this? This is the kind of questioning and thought processes you have to have to succeed. It's it's an easy game sometimes if you just avoid leverage, store things in a cold wallet, and just let it play out. But also, you can figure out ways of investing and how Novo's used the balance sheet of Galaxy to kind of bootstrap the company as they build out the other businesses because it's still an immature market. I think it's been very clever, and that's a rule book out of Goldman's own rule book, um, the sort of 80s and 90s style of Goldman Sachs, where balance sheet comes first. So there have to be good traders. And luckily, Nova's a good trader. Anyway, I hope you got a lot, of, a lot out of this conversation. And I'll see you next time with another conversation on macro, crypto, or technology. Let's see where it goes. Join over 5,000 attendees for the largest AI event in Asia, Super AI in Singapore, June 5th and 6th, 2024. Edward Snowden, Benedict Evans, Balaji Srinivasan, and over 150 others will hit the stage, joining the industry's most influential to explore and unveil the next wave of transformative AI technologies. Singapore will become a vibrant AI hub for a full week from June 3rd to the 9th, with over 150 side events that will make for unparalleled networking opportunities. Visit superai.com for 20% off tickets with the code REALVISION. Look for the link in the description.